Good evening, my name is Heikki Pekkarinen and we are in Norway in a little village of Asker with Manghild. Asker is located about uh, half an hour drive southwest from Oslo in Norway. And it is the 25th of May 2017 and we have 25 to 8 Norwegian time in the evening. And the subject is, in English, does God punish us now? And I made notes for you so that you can follow. Only a couple of places we will need to look up later. So in the introduction I wrote, often people think that when you do something wrong, God punishes you. So if we are born again believers with God's spirit inside us, God's children, does God really punish us? And uh, I titled the teaching, Does God punish us now, at this time? Reason being that it would be too large subject to handle at once the whole Bible time-wise. I will only point to it. But uh, now we can read Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 that I have in the notes. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Okay, then it's Ephesians 1, 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world should be before the begetting of mankind which i will explain tomorrow that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us under the adoption of children by jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So, having just read these couple of places, do you get the picture how God has forgiven us everything in Christ Jesus? So, okay. is he going to punish us now? If he has forgiven us, even if we continue to sin, he still forgives us. Is he going to punish us? However, I would like to point out that there are great differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between our times right now and times earlier, before Christ. So when in the beginning God created the world and all life and human being, he had absolutely no idea what he was facing with. So he created the whole world and the mankind because he so loved. And originally he didn't have any plan if it goes kaplui. But as soon as it went kaplui, he made a new plan. And again, that's something that we're going to handle tomorrow. But the reason why we are working this subject is because I've been traveling to India and Nepal many times, eight times altogether. And I've seen how those Indian and Nepalese believers so quickly can believe incredible promises of God and they see that happen to them. 
And I've always wondered, so what's the difference between us? They're the same species, the same human being as us. They can believe and we can't. What's wrong with us Western people? So therefore I started to search these subjects, like this subject, does God punish us right now? The other one is evolution theory, the other one is the doctrine of predestination, which we're going to work tomorrow. Just to clean out all the cobwebs and the tradition out of our head, that we could believe the word of God the same as the Nepalese and Indian believers can do. So I was dealing with these differences between Old Testament and New Testament times. So one was that when people really started to do evil things, the first generation that continued it grew worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that God said, I'm going to put away with them. And therefore came Noah's flood, and only Noah and his family was saved from the flood. So in Peter, I forgot which one, it says that through the water, mm. Noah and his family was saved. Saved from what? Actually, I'm going to look it up so it's easier for you to follow. That is in First Peter chapter 3, Elizabeth, can you look it up? Chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. 18 to 21. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited, in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in verse 20 it says that they were saved through the water. So why does it say they were saved by the water? What were they saved from by the water? So they were saved from the water by the ark, right? They lived. But what did the water save them from? Let's go to First Moses. Genesis. And uh, we go to chapter 6 and uh, we read verses 5, 6 and 7. Elizabeth, can you read 5, 6 and 7? <laughs> And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and of the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, now I ask you again, what were they saved from by water? From the ungodliness that was going on. Yeah, the evilness, the evil works from the other people. They were so unbelievably evil that he had to wipe them out. Yeah. So, and he didn't expect to have to do that when he created the world. But, as soon as he saw that they blew it, he made a new plan. And 
Therefore he made the plan of his son to come. And the first prophecy about it is in Genesis 3.15. That happened after they fell, Adam and Eve fell, but before they had children. And that's what I mean when I said before the beginning of mankind. So, but that's what I'm going to explain tomorrow. However, the difference, the biggest difference between Old Testament times and people's relationship to the Father, God, and our times is Jesus Christ. So when they sinned, they lost the spirit. And they also lost the spiritual understanding that they had had with the Father. And all their children that were born, they didn't have the spirit. They didn't have any spiritual understanding. And therefore, God had to give the law that was written on paper, or papyrus or whatever, so that they could read how they can live so that God can protect them. But as they fell, God saw that they are not going to be able to even believe him like that. Therefore, right when they fell, he made the plan of Christ coming. So when he came finally and died for us and perfectly fulfilled all the promises and all the stipulations about him, what were written in the Old Testament, God was able to raise him from the dead because he was killed innocently. He hadn't done anything evil and he was killed. So when God raised him from the dead, he became the life-giving spirit that he is today. And according to the Bible, he is bigger as a creation like that than anything else that God ever created before. That is explained in Colossians 1.16. Again, another substance, we're going to not do it tonight. However, my point is that when Jesus Christ came and we now can believe in him, now it is available for us to have spiritual understanding like they had in the beginning. And not only the understanding, but all that power that Jesus Christ has, we can have now. And because of that spirit that we have now, we are also able to do what God wants us to do. Therefore, to believe in God doesn't really mean anything. But to believe God, that is something. So all the Philistines that David was killing left and right, they believed in God. Yeah, they didn't believe God. They didn't do what God wanted them to do. But they definitely believed that there was God. I think most of the Western believers believe that there is God. Yeah? But that's it. Mm. However, let's turn the page. And um, I have written that I would like to look first at the places in the New Testament where the word punish, 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 for punishment <coughs> is used in order to see what is our position in these places. So I did this in the King James in English and I chose the word punish and punished. And I, uh, as much as I have seen, it's pretty similar in the Norwegian Bible also. And uh, the way I have done this, I have made word studies. And to make word studies, is the simplest and easiest way for anybody of you to gain your understanding in the Bible. The biblical research principle number one that everyone has to understand is you need to believe God. When you pray to God then Jesus Christ himself will open the understanding for you. Let's read, Elizabeth can you find Luke chapter, Luke chapter 24 just to make it short, we read verses 44 and 45. 
Luke 24, verses 44 and 45. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So he opened their understanding. Yeah, you know, I was saying that Jesus Christ is living us now. So what do you think that he's going to do? Just sit there? He will open up the scriptures when you want to know. The simplest way anybody can study the Bible is making word studies. You look up one word, and then you look up all the places where it is used. And you pray to God that God opens up your understanding and He will do it. So, therefore, the first word that we look at is kolatsomai in Greek. And uh, I have there these numbers N2543 and S2849. N stands for Novum because that's the name of the book in Finnish. And you have here in Norway, you have the Studi Bibel, mm. five part book. So this Studi Bibel was published at the same time in Norway, in Sweden, in Denmark, and in Finland. And they made them their own numbering, which is the same in all these four languages. So this number stands for this word Kolatsomai in Novum or the Studia Bible. And then the S stands for Strongs, James Strongs, who made a concordance and he also made his numbering. And that's the English speaking world numbering. So therefore I have always given both numberings so that you can look up in the Studia Bible what it says and then in all the study programs in the internet or the books that you can get where Strong's numbering is used. You can get every verse where each word is being used. Because, you know, I can explain to you what I've learned, but I can't open up your understanding. When you go and look up and you pray to God, then God will open your understanding. But you need to do the work. We're going to begin now. Kolatsumaya is a verb and it has been used only twice, two times in the New Testament, no more than that. So in English it means to chastise, correct, punish, that's what it means basically. That's the original meaning of the word. And we read Acts 4.21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. So this word strafe is this word kolatsomai. So Elizabeth, can you read Acts 4, 13 through 22? Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unburned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, 
Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. So now you can see in the context that they really meant to punish them. That's what the word means. In the second place where this Kolatsomai verb is used is in Second Peter 2 9. It says the the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. You understand it's talking about the last judgment in that. So another word that is translated by the word punish is timoreo and there's the numbers. To take vengeance on one, to punish, it is also a verb and it is also used twice in the New Testament. Mm. And here the place is Acts 22, 5, it says, As also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there, bound unto Jerusalem, for to be punished. So Paul is telling what he was doing before he was, before he became a believer, mm. when he was persecuting the church. And the other place is very similar in Acts 26, 11. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme <coughs> and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. And the last word that is translated by the word punish in the King James is DK. Right, justice, a sentence of condemnation, execution of the sentence, punishment, the goddess justice, avenging justice. And it is a noun, but one time it has been translated by the word punish. A noun is translated by verb in English. And that's in Second Thessalonians 1 9 where it says, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And then other four times it's used in the New Testament and here are the other usages. In Acts twenty five fifteen that's the place where Paul is kept in prison in Caesarea, Caesarea, and Festus is declaring his course to King Agrippa. In that context is written about whom when I was at Jerusalem the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me desiring to have judgment against him. So this is Festus speaking. Then Acts 28, 4. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And that is in the context when Paul was in a ship going to Rome and they suffered shipwreck and they landed on the island of Melita and the people received them really warmly and he was gathering wood so they were on the island of Melita and Paul was gathering wood for fire and a viper came and bit him and in that context they thought that 
he's going to die and in the Finnish it says this um, the goddess of justice mm. is used in the Finnish and some other translations also this word decay is translated like that mm. and the last place is in Jude 7 <coughs> even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire and then you can also see that he's talking about the final judgment the noun punishment and the first word which is translated by the word punishment is colossis and that is um, the noun form from this verb kolatsama that we already handled it has the same root and it also has been used only twice in the New Testament Matthew 25 46 says and these shall go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into life eternal okay then the next one is 1st John 4 18 there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment this word torment is this colossus he that feareth is not made perfect in law another word is timoria vengeance penalty punishment and it is a noun from the verb timoreo and it is used only once in the new testament so on page three we worked on timoreo so this is not a noun of it. In Hebrews 10.29 it says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden under foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. And one more word is ectigesis, Vengeance, punishment, it is a noun and it has been used nine times in the New Testament and once it has been trans translated by the word punishment. And uh, this is uh, the only place where it is translated by punishment is First Peter 2.14. Or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And that's in a very similar context like uh, Romans 13, <coughs> dealing with the earthly powers that we are under. And the other places it has been translated either by the verb avenge or by the noun vengeance. Mm -hmm. Like in Luke 18, verses 7 and 8, it says, And shall not God avenge his own select, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? And that's the first use in the New Testament. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. <coughs> Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Mm. The context is, we are not going to read it now. So, it's a parable where Jesus Christ is teaching them how important it is to pray and never give up praying. The parables are normally about one subject. The central point is one subject. Something is compared with something else, and that makes it the parable. And here in the, in the story, if you read it, there is this judge, and there is this woman who is asking for help, and she doesn't give up. 
and you cannot make the judge God and actually you cannot make that woman a believer the only point is that you should pray like she was not giving up harassing the mm -hmm. judge before he helped, him, helped her so the next place is Romans 12 19 and there is uh, also the verb form ektike o which I have later it says dearly beloved avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay said the Lord so this wrath is the Greek word organist is standing here already for the wrath of God that comes with the judgment times in the end of the times and this uh, Romans 12 9 to 21 you can read later we need to jump over it now yeah. the two other words from the same root other verb like I said this ekdikeo in this verse to avenge oneself to avenge a thing to punish a person for a thing to bring justice and uh, it's used six times the New Testament the noun ektikos from the same root which means avenger which is used two times and the last word translated punishment is the noun epitimia and it is used once in the New Testament and uh, that is used in 2 Corinthians 2 6 sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many in order to understand it we need to read 1 Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 5 Elizabeth can you read in English it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you for I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together and by my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus so in our times this is the closest to punishment of God if you like I mean Paul said to them you don't want to let anybody in the church in your congregation in your fellowship do that you tell him you are not with us and then in 2nd Corinthians he says okay he has suffered enough forgive him take him back in he has learned he has stopped his ways okay in that kind of context you put people outside of the blessing of the fellowship and the other place uh, where the punishment is used like that is in 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 20 we don't read it you can read it later so in 2nd Corinthians 2 6 it's translated punishment but when you really look at what the verb form of the word says which means to tax with fault rebuke reprove censor severely which has been used 20 times in the New Testament so you really get a good picture when you look, read Matthew 8 26 it says and he Jesus Christ said unto them why are you ye fearful or ye of little faith then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm mm -hmm. so you remember that was when they were traveling through the 
lake of Genesaret, mm. and he was sleeping, Jesus Christ was sleeping, and there was a great storm, and they woke him up because they were afraid, and that's what he said. He rebuked the wind. Mm. So therefore, I, I would like to think that in Second Corinthians 2, 6 is not really punishment, it's rebuke. So the ultimate punishment of God will come on the day of the Lord Jehovah after the gathering together of the believers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this gathering together is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. And it is often referred to by the word wrath or okay, that we had already in Romans 12, 19. Anger, wrath, indignation. So since this word wrath, orge, is so important in the context of judgment of God, let's see what our relationship to it is. Matthew 3, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So that was John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to Pharisees and Sadducees, you know. And he's talking about the end of times, the wrath of God going to come on them. So are we included? No. John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So if you believe on the Son, you have everlasting life, and the wrath doesn't touch you. Revelation 19.15 And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. So that's the place where this wrath of Almighty God is explained and in the context more clearly. But then in Romans 5 verse 8 and 9 it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. For they themselves shew reported of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. In the first Thessalonians 5, 8-10 But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake, so whether we are awake or sleeping, we should live together with him. So far when we have looked at this place, you can see that uh, God does not punish us. And he has even caused us to be saved from the wrath to come, when all the others are going to be punished. But I want to still point out something else, because there is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's go to Psalm 91, and Elizabeth, can you read first verses 1 and 2? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. So do you know who this He is who dwelleth in the secret place of the Almighty? Do you understand that's Jesus Christ? Elizabeth, can you read verses 10, 11 and 12? 10 to 12. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So, do you remember Satan used this place to tempt Jesus? He took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, jump down, because this is what says in the Bible about him. Yeah. Well, in the situation when they came to capture him, Jesus Christ, Peter took his sword and smote the ear of uh, Malchus and Jesus said to him, put your sword away because, you know, if I wanted to walk out of here, God would give me twelve legions of angels. Let's read Matthew 26:53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels. So who is in you? There is Christ in you. If you believe God, if you hold forth His Spirit and you're doing God's work, and you get in trouble, you have these 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels helping you to get out of trouble. Thank you.